Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is Stacey Aronson, a writer, ghostwriter, editor, book designer, publishing partner, grammar nerd, and all-around wonderful person. And we are talking about so much. This might be the most jam-packed episode of Good People, Cool Things that we've ever had. We're talking all about Stacy's background in helping people get their books out into the world. She's done more than 220 releases as of the recording of this podcast. And we're also talking about her first book that she wrote that comes out on June 14th, Raising and Losing, My Remarkable Teenage Mother, which is her first solo publication. Stacy is just full of inspiring words, lots of great advice. If you've ever wanted to write anything, there's plenty of great tips in here. We're also geeking out over grammar since we're both big old grammar nerds. We're talking a little bit about baseball and softball. Neither one of us have ever dove over a wall to make a catch, but hey, there's still time to pull that off. There's so much good stuff in this episode, and I can't wait for you to hear it. But one other little detour before we get into this conversation. If you'd like to support Good People Cool Things, you can do so via the merch shop. Go to goodpeoplecoolthings.com slash shop and check out all of the fun hoodies, hats, t-shirts, mugs, shenanigans going on over there. You can also get in contact with the show joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at GPCT Podcast on all three of those platforms. For now, here's the conversation with Stacy. If I throw any curveballs your way, I, I have utmost confidence that you can handle that. Did you play uh, play catcher during growing up playing uh, whatever level of baseball, softball, t-ball you got to? I never played catcher. I was a left fielder, actually. Always loved seeing. I feel like there was like one of two left fielder, or really anywhere in the outfield, uh, in Little League at least, of like very into it you will catch anything your way like you're sprinting down making over the shoulder grabs all that <laughs> or you could not care less about being on a baseball field and are just like daydreaming and staring at the sky I was actually the motivated one who went for it okay I got me. the sense of that I got the sense of that so that's that's good what I was your you were you like robbing home runs over uh, over the fence like diving into stands and stuff like that Oh, no. I mean, this was Bobby Sox softball. Not to say that there wasn't good competition going on, but um, no, I, I don't think I ever <laughs> leapt over a wall in any kind of heroic catch. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you on that one. <laughs> I mean, I, I did it either, come so, through. Yeah, I was trying to look okay. vicariously through you. I think I, I would always dream about it, I think, when I was in the outfield, like, oh, this ball's going to hit off the bat perfectly and... I can, I mean, we only probably played at like one or two places that even had a wall. It was usually just like the woods or other grass was yeah. like the, the outfield. So it was uh, right. always an adventure. Well, I'm glad we have a level playing field. Ha ha, so to speak, now. <laughs> uh, already with the wordplay. I love it. I love it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> A good deal. Well, I will say, I mean, I guess we've already kind of started with baseball, but um, another type of pitch, this is how I've been starting these episodes, and I think it's a fun little creative exercise. If people don't know who you are, can you tell us your elevator pitch 
but also what kind of elevator are we riding on? Oh, okay. Well, that is such a fun question because I am a huge classic movie fan. And so I would have to be in the elevator of one of my favorite films, How to Marry a Millionaire from 1953, uh, going up to the posh apartment that was shared by Marilyn Monroe, Lauren Bacall, and Betty Grable. And so if the elevator operator asked me what I did, I would tell him I take writers and aspiring writers by the hand as a writer, ghostwriter, editor, cover designer, layout artist graphic and website designer and publishing partner and help them bring books of excellence from cover to cover into the marketplace. And I do this using the arena of self-publishing, but with all the high standards of traditional publishing. And I've also recently authored my first memoir, which is coming out in June. Well, so you've got one or two things going on, it sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, just a couple. (laughs) <laughs> of that that long list, we'll definitely get into your memoir because I think it's just really interesting and, and want to get into that. But of all the things that you do for other writers, do you have a favorite out of the bunch? You know what is such a blessing for me is I love everything I do. And I know not everybody gets to say that. And it took me a lot of years to get to a place where I actually had a reinvention career And I discovered all these different pieces that I loved and that I was good at so that I could actually be a one-stop shop for, for authors. But, um, you know, I, I love writing and I love helping people shape their manuscripts as an editor. And and then I love all the design aspects. So, um, I, I unfortunately can't pinpoint only one, but actually that's fortunate as well, because there's, there's really nothing about what I do that I, I dread which is always nice in your career. <laughs> That's always good. Yeah. You don't want to be waking up and being like, oh, this again. Exactly. Exactly. With the writers that you work with, do you like to kind of focus on a specific genre or a specific style or, or format of book? Or are you like, hey, if you've got a good story to tell, I can help you make it a, a possibility and make it out into the real world? A little bit of both. Um, I do have specific specialties, I would say, where I feel I'm the most equipped to help people. And and memoir is definitely one of those. And I've worked on all kinds of different memoirs. But I've also done some great books in the areas of self-help or self-development, a little bit of like careers and business, some academic books. I've done some books on uh, travel, of of travel nature. Um, So Nothing dry. I mean, everything has been something I've really enjoyed and most of the time learned some really cool stuff from doing them. And that's always fun, too. So I kind of kind of joke sometimes that I have all these sort of honorary master's degree in in oddball things (laughs) because I've worked on so many different kinds of books with different people um, that I get to share in the knowledge that they're bringing into the marketplace with their books. So um yeah, I've worked on lots of different kinds, and uh, but memoirs kind of got this special place in my heart, helping people bring their own personal stories into the world. Um, I, I've really enjoyed that. But but to be honest, I I've had very few projects. I think two <laughs> that um, for whatever reason the the chemistry wasn't so great. I mean, the book ended up being great, but other than that. Um, I've really enjoyed working in all the different genres that um, that I that I shared with you, and a few other little like specialty genres too, like poetry and inspiration and uh, pets. 
notes and stuff like that. You had me at oddball back when you were saying you, you have masters and all these different oddballs. So what's what's like the most obscure project that you've worked on? Maybe uh, I worked with this gentleman who had done a lot of extensive travel in Southeast Asia. And he did this series of books on like five different areas. So there was a Thailand and a Indonesia and uh, a Myanmar, Burma, and, you know, and they were these really eclectic little odd chapters of different encounters with, with the native peoples and um, different kinds of cultural things and um, odd traditions. And um, I mean, I shouldn't say odd because they're special to them. I don't, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but, but sort of like outside the box things that I hadn't really ventured into before. So um, I had this, this, knowledge of something of a place I'd probably never go and people I would never meet. And so, um, that, that's an interesting one. Um, for sure. I, that's probably, I mean, maybe that's not so oddball. It's maybe just, um, a little bit more outside the box for me than what I would normally be drawn to or, or walk into working on a book project. Very cool. Yeah. I think that's always so fascinating. And and a huge reason why I love traveling in the first place is just because you do get exposure to things that really you probably wouldn't see if you were just kind of inside your bubble. And similarly, it's always interesting to to hear what people overseas, what their opinions are of Americans or what they think uh, life is like over here. And sometimes it's very accurate. And other times I'm just like, oh, no, like this is you know, you're you're watching like uh, Breaking Bad or something, and you think we all cook meth out here. Um, but <laughs> right, it's always uh... actually this this could be a good. I just I just thought of when I was studying abroad. This could be a question. See if if you have a good answer for it because I didn't. They were asking for a movie that uh, summarized Amer- the American kind of like high school or college experience, and I feel like all of the movies they were naming were like American Pie or um, like Van Wilder or, or Animal House even for like an older one, which I'm like, these are all kind of very embellished, but I didn't know if I had a good answer. Do you think, do you have any, any suggestions I could retroactively tell my college self to share with them? Ooh, that, that is a tricky one. Um, I, I am not coming through for you here and I am so sorry. <laughs> Nothing is coming to me readily <laughs> for this question. Now, after we after we end the podcast, I'll probably think of something and maybe I'll email you, but the listener won't have the benefit of me being really snappy and bright uh, during the interview. So I do apologize for that. <laughs> we can drop it in the show notes when you can. I mean, I'm sure you'll you'll think of it like as soon as you lay your head on your pillow for bed and you're like, wait a minute, here's five great examples. <laughs> exactly exactly first of all i i need to uh, i think probably also after this podcast chat with you about a potential memoir idea i have about when i was uh hosting karaoke in los angeles because i was thinking about it the other day and i'm like a lot of weird stuff happens when you're a karaoke host and you see (laughs) you see some things and i think that would be fun to kind of uh recount those outside of just at parties or conversations with friends and kind of get them into writing so we, uh, we may have to talk about some, some memoir products. But first, we got to talk about yours. You've helped so many other people with your books or create their books. And now you've got your first solo book coming out on June 14th. 
Raising and Losing My Remarkable Teenage Mother. Why did you decide now is the time for this book? Well, what happened was my my mom actually became ill, and I won't go into all of that, but I lost her in September of 2020. And it was really tough because we spent our whole lives being very close, very great friends, having just a singular dynamic between us. And if you've ever seen Gilmore Girls, we were very much Rory and Lorelai Gilmore in many astonishing ways. We always joke that Amy Sherman Palladino wrote that show about us, even though she didn't know (laughs) us. It was really remarkable. Um, So I lost my mom on September 15th. And there was a lot of stuff that happened after that, of course, things to, to take care of and just to deal with. And I came home on October 15th and I just absolutely knew I was supposed to write our story. And it was so strong and it felt like all the stars aligned. My schedule allowed for it. Um, I felt like my mom was really present with me and that we had all these silly stories from growing up and all of these like mystical and magical events that happened and we were together and we were apart and we were funny and we had sentiment and we had all these things and people were always so intrigued by our relationship. And, you know, over the years we would hear, Oh, you girls should write a book one day about this wacky and wonderful relationship you have because it's so rare. And so after I lost her, the title just boom, it hit me. And the feeling that I was supposed to write the book was so strong that there was, there was no question for me about doing it. It was honestly, I'm going to write every day and I'm going to figure this out. And, and like I said, the timing worked and it just felt like the right thing. And so that was the catalyst was losing my mom. But um, luckily I had lots and lots of wonderful stories about us growing up together that, you know, weren't at all maudlin. So the experience itself was mostly wonderful. And then the writing the end, the losing part was the hardest part because it was the most raw and it was actually a little bit of, uh, it was a lot to figure out in terms of what happened in order because we only had nine last days together and they, they kind of blended. And so I had to go back and piece it all together. And that was very emotional, but it was also therapeutic and very special. And again, I felt the really strong presence of my mom. So that was the catalyst for writing the book. What a wonderful end result of, of having this book that has all these memories. And now you can share it with the world as well, which is just a super, super cool way. Also very impressed at you putting together and releasing a book in nine months. Well, thank you. And, and what's kind of ironic, and I know ironic is a weird word to use because no one ever really knows exactly what it means perfectly. Alanis Morissette but, certainly doesn't. But <laughs> I, I know. But truthfully, um, you know, I always tell people, you know, you need a good six months from raw manuscript to market. And that's typically what I have with, with my clients. And um, this was just a very uncommon experience. I, I actually partnered with a very good friend of mine in the month of November, and she wanted to write a novel, and I wanted to write this. And we just said, okay, let's be accountability partners with you know word counts every day and cheerleading each other. And um, 
and I wrote every single day and I stayed on my word count and then I upped my goal and then I upped my goal again. And then by the end of November, I wasn't finished. And so I spent the whole month of December. And even saying that now that I wrote, you know, a substantial <laughs> memoir, <it's> 100,000 <laughs> words in two months is staggering to my own mind. Um, that's why I say it really felt like all the stars aligned for this to happen. Um, but luckily, because I work in this industry and I know how everything works and I know how to do all of these different elements professionally, um, you know, I was very fortunate. I was able to do all those things and know exactly how to put one foot in front of the other. Um, and the reason why it's coming out on June 14th is because that would have been my mom's 69th birthday. And so it was very special for me to launch the book on her birthday. That is very special. It's a, what a what a nice memento. I I don't know if memento is the right word. A nice tribute um, to to your mother there. And I do want to get a little more into the writing process and kind of all that goes into launching a book, since you obviously have ample experience with that. But it's a little a little different on the outside. But first, I've got to note this is more so for. The, the folks listening at home, because I can't claim I'm a huge Gilmore Girls fan. My sister watched it growing up, so I definitely am familiar. I could name you at least Luke outside of Rory and Lorelai. And I, I, I want to say there's a chase in there, but I might be making that up. <laughs> you, can, you can just mock That's me okay. silently at That's home. A, but... No, I will not mock you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. There is not a chase, but okay. that's okay. You got Luke, Lorelai, and Rory. I mean, there's the trifecta. So you're good. Excellent. Excellent. Got the important one. So do you have a favorite episode or scene from Gilmore Girls? Oh, okay. Well, one of the really sweet Gilmore Girls episodes for me is when Lorelai and Rory go on a road trip and they decide to go to Harvard to check it out because Rory has wanted to go to Harvard all of her life and they go there and they just walk onto campus and they, you know, Rory sneaks into a lecture and, you know, and, and they walk around and they have this really sweet time together. And, and Lorelai completely sees her daughter there. I mean, she can see it. My mom and I had an almost identical trip. Now it wasn't a long road trip, but it was a good, it was 37 miles <laughs> from home. I wanted to go to Scripps College in Claremont, California. I grew up in Southern California and it was my dream, not, not as long as it was for Rory, but it was my dream. And we made the trip there one day and we did, I didn't sneak into a class, but we did walk all over campus and we had that magical moment of my mom saying, I see you here. Like, this is where you belong. And, and I know that you're going to go here. And, and I ended up getting in and I ended up going there. Now, Rory ended up choosing to go to Yale. We won't get into that, but nonetheless, <laughs> that that really sweet episode I I loved so much and and part of it too that was so fun is that they stayed at this bed and breakfast that they both despised because neither one of them wanted to have to socialize with anybody <laughs> and, and eat with other people <laughs> and you know my mom and I were kind of like that too we just we just liked being together and we just kind of wanted to do our own thing and so when I saw that episode I couldn't believe how it mirrored our lives I mean there were many things about that show that mirrored my mom and me. It was quite incredible, but that one was pretty sweet. And and also uh, Rory's first day at Yale when Lorelai takes her to school and Rory doesn't want her to leave. And she ends up staying, staying the night and just making a huge hit out of, 
out of uh, Rory's um, suite and, you know, having all the food there and, you know, just being the cool mom. And had that happened for me, my mom would have definitely been that person too. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, those are both fantastic. And I've, I, I, maybe I I'm due to watch Gilmore girls. Now I, I keep seeing it on, I want to say Netflix. Is it on Netflix now? It is on Netflix and Joey, I do highly recommend it. It's not just for girls. Okay. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to add it to the list. We did just finish watching sister, sister a little while ago, which was a nice throwback to shows I watched growing up uh, sporadically. So maybe, maybe we're due. Yes, maybe you are. That's great. So going back to the book, as as much as I <laughs> I can uh, fake my way through a Gilmore Girls conversation, going <laughs> no, you've done great. <laughs> Gold stars are all around for for absolutely for everything else that goes into a book. I like I think a lot of people are like, whoa, writing one is is very impressive, and you did you said one hundred ten thousand words, so double Nano Rimo. Look at me using the slang there, uh, National Novel Writing Month. You've I'm doubled impressed. that in two months, which is just phenomenal. And that's just part, though, of, of publishing a book. There's so much that goes into it, like you were talking about with the design. There's the marketing elements, uh, all, all kinds of other things that people don't think about. So t- this is kind of a two-parter. One, what all goes into that? And two... What was the most surprising part as you were doing it for yourself as opposed to someone else? Oh, great questions. Well, um, all the all the elements, we'll start with your first part of your question. Um, you've got, after you have a raw manuscript, and I, I edit as I go because that's who I am. There are other people who just do kind of a mind dump manuscript, and it might be just horrible. <laughs> it doesn't even hold together. <laughs> um, but I don't write that way. That's just not my nature. So... I'm, you know, I would edit every day too. And so by the time I was done with the manuscript, I knew there were things, of course, I, of course, that were going to need to be refined and tweaked and, oh, I forgot about this. And, oh, okay, I could probably take that out. Um, but what was wonderful was having the accountability partner um, for, for both of the months. And then I had a wonderful group of four women who are all writers. They actually were all my clients at one time or another, and we've become friends. And they were my beta readers. And they were a huge help to me because they were coming to it from a whole different perspective. They didn't know me all that well personally. They knew maybe a little bit about me. But um, so they were really coming with a fresh perspective. And they each had very different opinions or saw different things where somebody might say, oh, I really wish I would have known more about how you were feeling in this scene as opposed to just what was happening. Or this part, I felt like I, like maybe it was too much detail. Um, I think you could leave this out. Or, you know, so there were all these different types of, of feedback I was getting and it was so helpful. I was so grateful. And so I, you know, went back to the manuscript and did all of these tweaks with all of their advice. And, and then uh, I've been very fortunate to be in this industry to have a really wonderful colleague who is a top-notch book publicist. And I always said, okay, when I finally write my first book, I hope I'll be in a position to hire her because that would really mean a lot. And so uh, I was able to hire her and she, she read it. 
And she was able to give me some feedback from a publicist standpoint. Now, mostly she was very happy with it, which made me very happy. Um, but she had a couple of interesting comments that nobody else did. And so that was very helpful as well. So I think making sure that you understand that the writing process is really about rewriting. I mean, getting it all out on paper is, is it's step one. And there are many steps in the writing process after that. So I think, you know, people have to understand that writing really is rewriting. And there's a lot of editorial work to be done and you don't want to rush that. And it sounds like I, <laughs> I really, really rushed it. <laughs> but in all honesty, <laughs> in all honesty, I did have such good people around me to help me. And then my partner read it and she gave a whole bunch of really, really great feedback as well because she was part of it. Uh, not not my early years, but, but the part... Um, toward the end where I was losing my mom and she was part of that. So there was that aspect too. And then um, the design part actually came very organically for me because I do, I've, I've designed over 200 books and book, book interiors now. So that part comes very naturally to me and I just kind of knew what I wanted to do. Um, and the cover too, the cover is, is a huge part. And you know, getting the cover right is a big responsibility because that's the first thing people see. And for me, it was really about showing a picture of my mom and me when she was a teenager. She had me at 16. And I have this picture of us on my first birthday, my first birthday party. And so she's 17 and I'm there next to her. And it just really shows sort of the sweetness of us together where she's a child raising a child. And, um, and I loved that picture so much that that was the one I worked really hard <laughs> to make work for the cover. And um, so that was, you know, that was a whole other process. And then, yes, the marketing part is definitely something you're thinking about all the time. I mean, you actually need to be thinking about it before you write a book. Who's my audience going to be? What is my driving why for writing this book? What do I want people to take away from it? You know, how do I want people to feel or how do I want them to see things maybe a little differently? Um, how, how can I be inspiring or entertaining or whatever your goals are? So those things have to be there while you're writing. Um, otherwise, you can get really off track. Um, so all of those things were, were present and they're all part of it. And then the, the publishing aspect of it, you know, I've done many, many times. So using the self-publishing platforms and, and knowing how to navigate those is certainly a part of it. But um, those are really kind of the, the biggies is, is the editorial process and the, the cover design. And then, of course, making the interior look very pleasant and, and, you know, just flowing with the cover and the story and everything, making it all cohesive. Yeah. And I think I, I agree with you. I think the cover is just so it's so eye catching and it just is, is such a it's such a lovely picture. And so excellent oh, job. Thank picking you. It yeah. Thank you. That's so nice of you. Yeah, and I and great tips all around too. I think the marketing element. I know I always see what what's the old saying like writing is ten percent writing and ninety percent marketing or whatever the percentages are. I feel like it changes every time I see the quote. But <laughs> it's like that. It's like that stat how like fifty eight percent of stats are made up on the spot. So you can just you can tweak it to whatever whatever fits your needs there. But yeah, I think there's yeah you're. you're- yeah. You got it. You got it. Thank you. Thank you. 
that's a totally legit <laughs> stat. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that is a big element of having that marketing um, going into it as well. And, and it's something I think a lot of writers kind of dread, but I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because I have a marketing background, but I think it's fun. Well, you know, I think it all depends on perspective. I mean, actually, all of life is really about <laughs> perspective. If you think that trying to sell your book to people feels awful, um, well, that's just one perspective. You can think of it as sharing a story that people might really find inspiring or fun or, oh, wow, I, I didn't know moms and daughters like this existed or, um, oh, wow, now I have a really interesting perspective on what it's like to, to lose someone, to go through their transition. Um, you know, there are lots of different elements going on in my book in particular, but you do want to be thinking about like what are people going to take away and why are they going to enjoy it and that's why you're writing it you're writing it for an audience and so if you're thinking oh I have to try to sell my book to people yeah that does sound really heavy and quite unenjoyable (laughs) Um, but if you if you think about sharing parts of your story or you know piquing people's interest with with different things that make up your story. And it can be any book. I mean, it could be a book on, you know, business or self-development or anything. Um, just the things that someone might go, oh, wow, I, I'm really interested in that. Or this is really helpful to me, or this really touched me. You know, there are lots of different ways people can feel. And I think if you look at it more that way, like, well, I wrote this book for a reason, and this is what I hope people take away from it. And you kind of focus on those elements and sharing those elements, whether you're a guest blogger sharing or, you know, you're on an awesome podcast like yours, which I'm still so privileged to be on right now. Um, I mean, there are lots of different ways to get the word out, social media, um, writing articles, you know. Um, So it it just really depends, I think, on on the perspective. Thank you for organically plugging this podcast with that answer. That was wonderful. (laughs) And the the bag of money will be delivered to your house shortly. (laughs) I did not expect it, but what a lovely bonus. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's just, it's, it's the little things, the little surprises in life that really, really make it, make it worthwhile. (laughs) Now I did some poking around on your site, which is always wonderful to do and a very, a very nicely designed site. Well done. Well done. But the thing that caught my, my eye, because I am, in this same boat as you. I mean, there's there's multiple things, but there was one where I was like, oh man, spot on with that. You say you're a lifelong grammar nerd. I am. Which, <laughs> right there with you, going back to spelling bees as like a five-year-old and and just you know constantly being like, there, there, and there, and you're in your, and all that good stuff. So what is your biggest grammar pet peeve? Oh, Joey. Well, you just named one of them there, there, and there. Um, I, I really get frustrated with it and in it apostrophe s, you know, uh, there's a difference, you know, it apostrophe s is, is a, uh, is a possessive. It's a contraction. I mean, not, I'm sorry, not a possessive. It's a contraction. And so, yeah, I get, I get frustrated when I see ITS, you know, used wrong. Um, uh, I feel like there are, there are so many, there are so many, (laughs) one of, one of the biggest ones maybe for me is 
people starting all their sentences lately with so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, even even people on Jeopardy do this. It drives me insane. <laughs> you know, someone will ask ask a, a nice question like, "You're a graduate of Scripps College, and how do you end? How did you end up going there?" So my mom and I were <laughs> taking a trip one day. Uh, you know, sometimes it sometimes it works. There's sort of a context, but that one's been driving me really crazy lately. Um, but in terms of of you know grammar, I probably one of my other biggest ones is when people use myself instead of I. Myself and my friend are going to the movies tonight. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's that's not correct. <laughs> I feel like I need to do a, a like offshoot of this podcast now that's just Stacy tears apart grammar because uh, I I am just nodding my head over here. Oh, good, good, because I'm feeling like a big giant language snob saying these things. Like I'm, <laughs> like I'm judging every person's speech patterns, but they're just things that jump out. Because as you know, now that I know we're twins in this arena, and this is so exciting to me <laughs> to have a grammar nerd friend. Um, you know, these things just once you are aware of them, you can't be unaware of them. You just see it everywhere. You see it in writing. You see it in the way people speak. And it's just so obvious. And, and you want to help people <laughs> do better, but you end up coming across sometimes as just a snob. So not you, but anybody. Yes, yes. I wasn't offended. Okay, I good. I think you were specifically <laughs> calling me out. And the, the so one is really funny. I remember reading, I don't remember where, but someone had written an article about it and I think in the article they said it's it's more a millennial type of thing of the younger folk, which I mean I guess there's already two generations after millennials now, so not not so <laughs> young anymore. But uh, that they were the the biggest instigators of it, and I was kind of like, huh, I never really noticed that. And then yeah, ever since then, I most specifically in an episode of Shark Tank, I was watching, and every question they had. Like every inventor that came out was like, so we made $8 million last year. And I was just like, oh, it's, it is a thing. It is a thing. It is. But, you know, I mean, just like anything, there are so many generational things. For example, we say like a lot. Um, <laughs> some people over like. And, but, you know, we say things like. Um, so I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And he was like, no, no, I don't really want to. I mean, where did that come from? My grandparents never said that um, ever. They always said, and she said, and he said, and I said, uh, there was no, and I like, and he liked, but um, funny, you know, this, this sort of came into fashion and we picked up on it and we say it. And I've, I've been really trying to break that habit because I grew up with it. I don't like, 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 you know, all the time, but I, I do have that pattern and I know it's a little bit odd. I don't know where it came from, but it is just a generational thing. So, you know, I try to be kind and cut people some slack, but things do stand out to me. I can't help it. And apparently you feel the same way. <laughs> yes. And I also say like, so I'm sure people are, <laughs> are shaking their heads in disgust. <laughs> well, you have to say it sometimes. I mean, there is a context for it. But at the same time, just like we might be picking on the millennials for something, 
you know, our grandparents or parents are picking on us for things too. And, and we're going, yeah, but that's just what everybody says, you know? So I don't know. That's why semi, I just make up my own stuff. slang and then yeah. no one knows what I'm talking about. That's really <laughs> yes. the way to do it. <laughs> exactly. But the myself instead of I really does have to go. That one, that one I can't really abide. <laughs> I will, I will keep an eagle, I guess an eagle ear out for it now okay. and will harshly criticize anyone okay. that, that uses it and cause a real scene for it. Okay, good. fight in your honor. I'm so happy I have you on my team. <laughs> now, a so question funny. I like to ask is always, uh, is a question you wish you were asked more frequently. And I like asking it because it's minimal work on my end and I, I make you do all the work of coming up with the questions for this episode. No, just the <laughs> one question. But I and you you had mentioned how your mom was sixteen when you were born. And so did you ever resent having a role reversal relationship with your mom? Well, interestingly enough, I did not. I never resented it. And people do tend to think right away, oh poor you. Like you had to be kind of the mom in your situation. And I will just sort of back that up a little bit by, by sharing something, which is my mom always said, well, you are the, more, the wiser, more mature one of the two of us. And she would joke and say, I didn't raise Stacy. Stacy raised me. And, and indeed, when I was growing up, we did have this really funny role reversal where I would you know, be looking out for her and be concerned about something she was doing. She was the more free spirited, unstructured one. And I was the more bookish. Well, how do you say just more conservative, more traditional one. And so I just popped out that way. And we always just sort of marveled at how different we were, but also how close we were. I mean, we really adored each other and loved being together. But it is an assumption people make. They automatically think that whatever role reversal we had was dysfunctional or somehow detrimental to me. And so I love this question because of course there are role reversal situations where children are dragging their parents up out of a, you know, hangover or, you know, a drunken stupor. Can you take me to school? Or, you know, uh, there's a lot of irresponsibility happening and sometimes kids are trying to keep the family afloat or get a job when they're 12 or, you know, I mean, there are certainly those kinds of scenarios and I'm not undermining that at all. But in our particular case, we were just meant to be the twosome we were. And it worked so naturally and, and was so nurturing to both of us for us to switch in and out of our roles. And she was definitely my mom too but really more of an equal and a playmate. That's just how we grew up. And that was how she saw me. And, and it was really, really wonderful for us, for somebody else, for two other people, maybe it would have been awkward and, and somewhat detrimental, but for us, it wasn't at all. It was just so natural for me to look out for her. And it was never in a way that felt like a burden. She was never somebody who was so irresponsible that I felt burdened by having to look out for her. She always took good care of me, and and we really did grow up together in in a really sweet and beautiful and wacky and playful way, and we were like that until the very end. That's so nice and and sweet, and like you're saying, not everyone has that uh, relationship. There's definitely that kind of role reversal where it's not the best, and to to have that and and just 
be there for each other all the time. It's so it's so cool to hear, and well, I'm glad that it's it's out in the world for everyone to to shortly see. It's not not a hundred percent released yet, but but coming out very soon. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that, and it really was a blessing for us to have each other in the way we did, and. I feel like being able to write our story was really honoring that. And not only her, but also I had a wonderful father too, a wonderful young father. My parents were only married for about 10 minutes, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but they, you know, they made it work and my dad was great and my grandparents were great. And I truthfully grew up in what I call sort of this um, trifecta of beautiful or delicious flavors because I really had three distinct worlds my my world with my mom and my the one with my dad and the one with my grandparents and they just sort of had this marble fudge ribbon swirling through all of them that was unconditional love and so I was very fortunate I mean my mom and I did have periods apart and periods together and it wasn't always perfect I don't mean to make it sound like that but in terms of having that kind of very different relationship with a mother I never wanted to have any other mom than one I had, which, you know, and I know a lot of people can't say that. So I count myself very fortunate to be able to say that. What a great way to describe it of a marble fudge ribbon. <laughs> Although once again, I'm regretting recording a podcast so close to dinner time. So, <laughs> now I just want some marble fudge. <laughs> I know I ruined your dinner. <laughs> I mean, if marble fudge is included, I would say you've enhanced the dinner. So it's a, it's a win-win all okay. around. Good. All right, Stacey, you're almost off the hook, but we always like to wrap up with a top three. And this is a, a I'll lay the, the foundation. It's a top three reasons you're more amazing than you may realize. But we're not talking about you. We're not talking no. about me, or should I say myself? <laughs> uh, we are talking about everyone who's listening. Why are they more amazing than they realize? Yes. Well, I think especially right now, a lot of people are going through tough times and reinventions and lots of rockiness and kind of the rug being pulled out from under them. And I think it's important for us to remember some things that that do make us as humans really amazing. So number one is I just like to always remember how we live in a miraculous body that performs like, like, oh, I said like, oh, no, I'm kidding. I'm in trouble. <laughs> performs a miraculous body that performs like billions of processes every second of every day that we don't even have to think about. And that in itself is pretty darn amazing. And I think pretty empowering. So that's number one for me. Number two, uh, I would say, you know, we all came here with a multitude of gifts. So whether those gifts are obvious or not to you right now, there is at least one way, if not many more, that you can shine your light in the world. So don't let anyone ever tell you that you can't or you shouldn't because we are all meant to shine. And last but not least, I would say to remember that we are truly limitless beings and we're only bound by the limitations in our minds. So if you've been telling yourself a limited story of what you're capable of, know that you can change that right now to a limitless story. All you have to do is rewrite it. Ooh, I like that. Yeah? Put it up on a, a motivational poster. 
as I look <laughs> at my barren barren wall here in this in this recording room, just very uh, very white wall. Needs something like that to to re- be a reminder of of pushing forward and having that limitless mind. Yes, I think that's I think it's so important because really we we really are only bound by what we limit ourselves with in our minds. And so I just would love to see people take those, those, those limiting beliefs and just chuck them to the curb and say, you know what? I don't need you. I never needed you. I'm going to step into my truth self and be a limitless being and, and bring my gifts into the world. And, you know, we we are all capable of that. So those are my top three. Yes. Consider them chucked those limited thoughts. Yay. Moving on to limitless. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, Stacey, if people want to learn more about you, learn more about your mom, learn more about the book, learn more about Gilmore Girls, where can they find you? <laughs> well, my author website is stacyaronson.com and that's Stacy with an E Y and Aronson with a double A. And if they have any interest in what I, what I do with authors, my business is thebookdoctorisin.com, thebookdoctorisin.com. Um, but in terms of the book and me uh, and my mom and Gilmore Girls, then stacyaronson.com is a place to be. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Stacey, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. This was wonderful. I feel like I, I'm just going to go out and conquer everything that's in my way now. It'll be wonderful. I love that. And thank you so much, Joey, for having me. This was so much fun. And I really appreciate having this time with you. Your book, Raising and Losing My Remarkable Teenage Mother, comes out on June 14th. So go pick it up if you're listening. I guess you don't have to pick it up. You already have <laughs> probably multiple copies. So, <laughs> so you don't I have do. to pick it up. But everyone else listening. <laughs> thank you so much, Joey. And of course, we got to end with our corny joke. I thought this one was appropriate. It's mom themed, although I, you could probably plug in any group of people. But I like I like this one based around moms. What drink helps moms relax? What? Calm a meal tea. Oh, good one. Uh, get after it today, people. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think that was a good one. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. As always, you can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you.